The following podcast is a Dear Media production. What's the vibes? I'm EJ, head of special projects at DBA, and this is Who's On Content, a show that explores and dissects the influential, behavioral-altering power of content through thought-provoking, culturally relevant, and industry-shifting dialogues. We're chatting with social media platform leaders, marketers, journalists, and content creators contributing to the content shaping the global society we live in. I mean, folks, let's face it. Content is everywhere. It's visual. It's audible. Hell, it's even edible. Go with me for a second. The content of your favorite restaurant informs the content of your Yelp review. (laughs) See what we did there? Tune in to hear who's on content. It's Mariana, and welcome back to the Life with Mariana podcast. In this episode, I have Hannah Koenig, and we are here to talk about finances. So we're talking about controlling your money, how to build wealth, learning about finances and budgeting, saving, spending, credit cards, and where to invest if you guys are investing for the first time. So if you guys want to know more about finance, then keep listening to this episode. And don't forget, Summer Fridays has a couple brand new things for the holidays. So you guys know a few months ago, we launched our Sheer Skin Tints. They are incredible. I wear them every single day. I wear shade five. And to go along with that, we came out with blush sticks. They are exclusive to summerfridays.com. So if you guys want to get them, we ship to the US, Canada, uh, the UK. So you guys can get them in a couple places. They are so stunning on the cheeks and lips. Um, So I love a creamy blush and I love to apply this. So I wear all of the shades. There's a terracotta shade. There's a pinky shade and a red. And if you are a fan of our jet lag mask, we've got a jet lag mask and cloud dew moisturizer set for the holidays. It's two minis plus a scrunchie. So you have two different moisturizers from us. They are amazing. You'll love them, especially going into fall and winter weather. And then we also have our lip butter bomb set. It's been like sold out already. We just got some back in stock. Um, It is limited edition. This is only available for the holidays. I keep seeing it all over TikTok. So if you guys want to get it, I would definitely pick it up. So don't forget to subscribe to my podcast because I've got new episodes every Tuesday. Now let's hear from Hannah. I'm so excited for this episode because financial education is so important. And I think it's been something that I was taught by my parents really young. And it's something that I've been able to experience as an adult. But I think if I didn't have that guidance from my parents, it's so overwhelming now as an adult, where do we go to learn these things? Why were we not taught these things in school? So what exactly is the difference between financial intimacy versus financial literacy? That's such a good question. So traditionally, we look at education as the reason why people struggle with money, right? If you look at statistics, women, for example, have 35 cents of wealth to every dollar of their male counterpart. And those get worse when you look at intersections of marginalization. And so a lot of the time we look at education as the reason. However, if it were just about, you know, money is a value system and money is complex and it's a relationship. And so if it were just about numbers, we would all like plug it into the calculator on our smartphone and we'd be good to go. But because money is more complex than that for most people, I tend to focus on teaching financial intimacy as in how to be in relationship with money, how to relate to your money and how to cultivate a beautiful relationship with money instead of just wondering why, you know, it works on paper, but why isn't it working for me in my life? It's true. It's like, if it was just a number, it would be so much easier for us, but it is tied to so much more in our life because the things we spend our money on are things that bring us joy or make us happy or make us sad. So there's so much more that goes into like the finances of it. So I know you talk about a value-based budget. So what does that mean? 
Well, again, if money is a value system, then a budget is really just a money plan. It's a way to prioritize what is most important to you. That could be, you know, the goals you have financially, that could be just in day-to-day life. So a lot of people don't like the word budget because they think it means restriction. They think it means not fun. They think it means a lot of math. And I have those same feelings, but a budget is really just a way to tell money how it gets to show up in your life. And when we look at money as a value system, then we can use money as a tool to create the things that we desire in life and and really to get to say yes to the things that we value most. And then when we think about like budget and saving and saving money and spending, is there like a percentage that you think of like what we should be spending versus saving? So there is, you know, classically the 50, 30, 20 rule, which is 50% of your income goes to fixed expenses, 30% goes to fun and enjoyment, and 20% goes to saving or investing. I believe that a lot of, and statistically, women tend to save and not invest. It's somewhere around 30% of women are investing, which is something I'm passionate about changing. So I believe that you should be saving if you have a specific financial goal to create an emergency fund or, you know, for like a big purchase, right? Like a vacation, a home, maybe a wedding. But outside of that, you know, once you have an emergency fund and if you're not saving for a big goal, then I recommend that that additional income, that additional 20%, and you can change those numbers, personal finances, personal, go toward investments and building wealth. And what about for people that you're spending money on your rent right now, but then you also still want to save money towards a big purchase, like a mortgage. How do you have that balance of paying rent while also saving for another, which would be like almost like another house goal of yours when that ends up being like kind of two home expenses that you're saving Mm -hmm. for? Yeah, it is. It's prioritization. And that's why I look at it like a value system. So it may be that as you are paying rent, which many people do, that a larger percentage of your additional money is just going into a savings account for a big purchase, right? And that may mean that some of the other things, the normal like comforts that you have are deprioritized. So it's like, what are we building toward is kind of how I would look at that. And then you want to look at what type of investment do you want to make in a home or can you afford to make and when? Because once you know, you know, I want to buy a home within the next year and I want to buy this type of a home, then you can kind of reverse engineer that goal based on what your income is. And then when we think about a budget and we get to this number, we know the split, how much money that's coming in, how do you like to organize it? Do you like any apps or journals or templates or Excel sheets? I love YNAB. It's an acronym for you need a budget. That is a a paid budgeting tool. That's what I use, but I've also used every dollar. There are a ton of them. I, I personally like a zero based budget. So that's essentially, you know, at the end of every month, I look at the income that's coming in for the next month. And then I decide how I'm going to use every single dollar, how I'm going to put that money to work, whether I want to invest it and have that money make more money, or I want to prioritize traveling, et cetera. 
every single piece of revenue that's coming in is intentionally planned for. So you guys know about Air One in Los Angeles. And one day I was walking around. And what I love about being in there is discovering new brands. I walk around. I see things that are interesting to me, whether it's the branding, packaging, delivery system, the ingredients, the benefits. And one of them caught my eye and I bought them one day. And I am so excited to tell you about it because it's Symbiotica. Symbiotica is a health supplement company, and they're designing sophisticated formulas that are scientifically proven to increase vitality and longevity by filling nutritional gaps that result from our modern day diet. It's the highest quality bioavailable ingredients and the most advanced delivery system. If you're somebody who feels like, okay, I need more greens. I need to like just take care of myself, especially as we go into like fall and winter weather. I know we're like traveling or it's like cold and flu season. I like to just take care of myself with a couple of different things. So these are two things I think you need to incorporate. So one is Symbiotica Super Greens. It's a really convenient way to boost your daily nutrition. It contains a bioavailable complex of natural plant compounds. It's got chlorophyll, broccoli seed, and other alkalizing greens. And then another one is their liposomal vitamin C. It's a formula that plays a key role in your immune system function, collagen production, and healthy aging. Symbiotica is perfect for anyone who's trying to elevate their health and wellness. And if you guys don't know what to take, you guys can head to their website to find out the best supplements for your specific health goals. So if you guys want to try, use code Mariana on symbiotica.com for 15% off site-wide or create your custom bundle and get up to 45% off. The code applies on top of custom bundle discounts. Again, that's code Mariana on symbiotica.com for 15% off site-wide. Once we make that budget, how do we stick to it? Because in theory, it sounds amazing. It sounds great. But then a fun weekend might come up or something you really want to buy for yourself. Yeah. So, and this is why an emergency fund is just for emergencies. And then once you have that budget in place, what I find what people struggle with most in sticking to it is not necessarily the math, right? It's the habits or patterns or financial triggers. So if you've got the budget and it makes sense on paper, but you are having a really hard time showing up for it, I would check in with one, what is your vision for your wealthy life, right? What is your vision with money? And then what are the thought patterns or behavioral patterns or triggers that are keeping you from building that? And that's where you get into a little bit more nuanced work, right? Maybe financial trauma, or maybe you look at, oh, I'm spending because I get emotional and I'm just trying to fill this void or whatever it is. And there are so many different things for different people. But if if the budget makes sense on paper, but it's really hard for you to show up for, then you have to look at like, is this really important to me? And then if the answer is yes, what habits or what, you know, on an emotional level, on a psychological level is making this hard for me. I know it's definitely really difficult to stick to a budget thing. And something that's helpful for me is I usually have a lot of like shopping tabs open and what I'll do is I'll add things that I love to my carts and then I'll just like let it sit for a day or a week or however long. And then I'll go back. And then if I look in the cart again and I still really like it a little bit later, I'm like, okay, I still like this. This is something I really want to buy. So it helps me not make like fast decisions. Cause I think a lot of times when we're trying to stick to a budget like that, it's when we make impulse, big purchases. Totally. And you can also, you know, a budget should plan for things you want, right? Like I have a portion of my budget goes to Sephora every month. A portion of that. my budget goes to clothes because that's part of what I want and what I enjoy. And so that's a value for me. And when you have a system in place, it's like, oh, 
this is how much I've allotted to spend this month on the things that I want. So it shouldn't be deprivation because it's just like, you know, it, a budget shouldn't be a diet. It's not, how do I restrict? Because it's not sustainable. It's how do I make room for what I need and what I desire? And then if you've surpassed that limit of like, oh, okay, I put $500 here for this and I am $700 over, then, you know, there's something you can ask yourself. And I, you can just write this down. Like, is it, do I like it? Do I love it? Do I need it? Do I want it? And, and that just helps you like asking those questions helps you decide, is this something that I love? Is this something that I need? Is this something that I really desire? And then the question is, how do I make space for that? One of the things that I, I see a lot on TikTok is like advice of like, okay, skip your coffee every day of getting it when you go out, when you can make it at home and you can save this much. But like if getting this coffee for you and the act of getting coffee in the morning and spending three or $5 on it brings you joy, then I'm like, go and add that to your budget. If this is something that makes your entire day and you look forward to this act, then you know, instead of cutting it out and if you're like almost cutting out the thing that makes you happy, just budget for it instead of, you know, listening to advice of like, oh, so you'll save this much money if you just make coffee at home. Yeah. And that's really common in the personal finance world, especially the advice that is given to women. And it drives me bananas is always about deprivation and spending less and, and not purchasing things and going without. And that is not what money is for, right? It's, really it's how can I be intentional? And if, if this is something, if this is my morning ritual, and this is the moment that I have where somebody made a beautiful matcha for me, and I just get to sit and enjoy that and receive, then buy the matcha, right? Don't like the math doesn't math. The, the reason there's a huge gender wealth gap is not because you're buying lattes. So don't feel shame. Just create, you know, create space and prioritize. And I love that you said that about the budget of like creating, you know, this part of your budget that's for enjoyment. And it's like, however you want to spend that, the things that bring you joy or make you feel your best or whatever, because hopefully we are working to spend, you know, our money on things that we enjoy doing with our time or for ourselves. But what if you feel like you're maxed out with how much you're making at work and that even with the budget, you feel like there's just not extra to spend or to save or to do things that you enjoy? Mm -hmm. So there are, you know, if we're just looking at the math, there are a few ways you can shift that situation, right? It's like, I can spend less or I can increase what I'm bringing in. And if you're in a job that, you know, isn't quite meeting your needs, then there's an opportunity to ask for a raise, negotiate a salary, or look for employment that is that can support and provide for you. You know, there are also like a lot of people are into side hustles. I've had clients that have used a side hustle to pay off student loans or things like that to save for a wedding. But I'm a big fan of if your spending is like all in alignment with your value system and there's not a bunch of kind of like numb unconscious spending that you haven't allotted for. But if you haven't made a budget, that is probably there. There's probably like, wait, $300 on Postmates or something random. If you're in a place where all of that is, you've looked at it, you've acknowledged it, then I encourage you to seek employment that can support you. You know, job hopping is amazing, is incredible. And 
nobody else is going to advocate for you and your value and your compensation. So you being able to do that is essential. If you are traveling this upcoming holiday season, I'm going to guess you probably are because so many of us do. And if you're in a major city like Dallas, LA, Houston, Miami, DC, or San Francisco, I have the best airport tip or hack for you when you are going to the airport and that's to use Alto and download the app before you travel. I know how frustrating it can be to have a really long travel day. You arrive and then you have to go to another rideshare parking lot or it's difficult to order a car to come pick you up. And Alto actually comes to curbside at every airport. So if you're arriving to LA, which I do a lot of times when I'm traveling from a trip, it's just so easy to be able to have the car there, pick you up curbside and not have to go to another lot. And the Alto cars are company owned and they are branded luxury SUVs and they are definitely clean between each ride. I even saw somebody doing this after they dropped me off. So I was like, wow, I feel really good when I get into the car. And the drivers are interviewed and background checked and trained and performance managed. And each Alto ride includes in-app music control, chargers, Wi-Fi, water, and a signature scent. And you even got your backseat AC controls because I like to definitely control the temperature that I like in the car. And like I said before, my favorite feature is that they can pick you up curbside from every airport. So they've got Alto in Dallas, LA, Houston, Miami, DC, and San Francisco. So take out your phone while you're listening to this and just download the app and have this code ready to go. So if you're ever in a bind and you want to try it out, it's already downloaded and you're all set up. So download the Alto app and use code Mariana in the promotion section for $20 off your first two rides. Again, that's Mariana for $20 off your first two rides. One of the things that you mentioned earlier too that you said you're really passionate about is investing. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know, like, where do I even start? Do I need to have a lot of money to do this? So what are some types of investing that people can do if they have a very small budget to set aside for this? Yeah. If you have a small budget, I recommend starting small. And I think it's a misconception that you need to have a lot of money to begin building wealth. Not true. You can begin with like $25 a month, $50 a month. And The beauty of compound interest is that will continue to grow. And those dividends, if you're reinvesting them, will also continue to grow. So I recommend starting with something simple like a 401k or an IRA and investing in either mutual funds or index funds. And so mutual fund is like a collection of multiple different businesses. So instead of buying an entire pepperoni pizza, you can take that same amount of money and you can buy a pizza that has a slice of pepperoni, a slice of Supreme, a slice of cheese, right? A slice of barbecue chicken, right? Many different varieties. If your employer offers you a 401k match, then I definitely recommend contributing up to that match because that's essentially like paychecks you're not cashing from your employer. So starting with something simple like investing in index funds or mutual funds. And I know there are a ton of options out there. There's also a great app called Elevest, which I love, where they walk you through step-by-step how to begin investing. And I also recommend automating that process. So even if it's only $25 a month, making sure that that is part of your budget and that 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 comes out automatically and then it's invested automatically. So you don't even notice that it's happening and it just continues to build and grow. And for any of the listeners who are maybe early on in their career, and I know it's difficult as we're working our way up the corporate ladder and you know our salaries are lower as, we, as we're first starting, what financial advice would you give somebody who's maybe in like their first couple years of their career? Yeah, I, one, I think that 
it is common to assume that because you're in the early stages of your career, that you can't ask for good compensation. And so I recommend doing your homework just because it's an entry-level position doesn't mean that, you know, if you really, if you know what you bring to the table, if you know what the pay band is in, in that role, that you shouldn't be advocating for great compensation for yourself. But aside from that, I recommend, you know, of course, living within your means and then trying to, even if you feel like things are tight, jumping into investing as early as possible, because with investing yields the biggest return with time. So if you're in your twenties and you're only putting like 10% of your income into investments, that's still amazing. And I wish I would have put even, you know, 4% of my income in my early twenties into investments because that will continue to grow, continue to serve you. Credit cards are a big thing. And especially when you are trying to figure out your budget and you can't quite afford everything yet. So what advice would you give for people just maybe starting off with their credit cards, just like something you think they need to know? So common misconception is that you should keep your balance. You should keep a balance in the first place that you need that to build credit. That is not true. It's a myth. I don't know where it started. Maybe it was started by the credit card companies. You don't need to maintain a balance. If you can keep your usage under 10%, that is going to do way more for your credit score. And if you can pay your credit card off every week instead of once a month, that's also going to help support your credit score. So use credit cards as a tool, right? I don't recommend putting anything on your credit cards that you can't pay off in cash directly out of your bank account. And I know like I have made this mistake early on. I got several retail cards and maxed them all out. And some of them went to collections and some of them took me a couple of years to pay off. I, I don't recommend doing that. I recommend using your credit cards as a tool to build points and to build credit, but not pretending like they're free money, not making, leaving a huge pile of work for you to have to do later. How do we go Mm -hmm. about creating a budget and making sure that we're paying off our debt or loans in a responsible way while still needing to pay for all of our fixed expenses? When you're creating your budget and you're looking at your fixed expenses, I would include your minimum debt payments in that as well, because obviously we don't want you to default on your minimum debt payments. Outside of that, once you have an emergency fund in place, then there are a few different ways to pay off debt. And there's not a right way. Personal finance is personal. So, you know, there are a few different methods and not one of them is right or wrong. It's more about which one can you commit to and can you get behind? So for me, when I was paying off debt, I used what's called the snowball method, where I just tallied out all my debts and I started with the the lowest debt. And then I worked my way up and just crossed them off the list one at a time. There's also the avalanche method where, and not all debt is bad, right? In business, debt is all, intentional debt is called leverage, right? So look at what debt is costing you the most that has the highest interest rates. You can, the avalanche method would focus on paying off the highest interest debt first, and then 
and working your way down. And some people use debt consolidation, but it's really about like, what is the thing I can commit to and be consistent with and show up for? Because there's not a right or wrong way to do it. And then also, if you have super low interest debt, say maybe you have really low interest student loans or a low interest rate on a mortgage, you may not be in a hurry to pay down that debt. And that's okay too, right? You may you may want to take your time with that debt because your income could serve you better if it were invested. You know, say if your interest rate was low, like my mortgage on my investment property has a 2% interest rate. So I'm not in any rush to pay that down because the money I'm investing in the market where it can give me say, you know, an eight to 10% return or more, it's actually doing a lot more for me in that space. And you believe that Halloween is practically here. And then after that, it is the holidays. And it just seems like once we get to Halloween, we just get to Thanksgiving and then it's Christmas and then it's New Year's. And we have so many things coming up. I feel like it's a definitely like such a crazy time of year for me between like going to places, having people over, going to different parties. So if you guys are party hopping and you need some party hosting essentials, definitely check out Macy's because it's the one-stop shop for everything you might need from casserole and pie dishes to home decor to gifts that will chip away at your list a little bit early. So go ahead and pick up your Halloween costume three hours before the party because no one has to know. You guys go to Macy's.com. And if we're thinking about the holidays, the official thing that like kicks off the holidays for me is the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. So of course, Macy's would have everything that you need from Thanksgiving to the holidays and New Year's. This time of year is something I always buy that just makes me so happy. I actually lit one this morning and it just smells so delicious are Yankee candles and Yankee candles. There's just something about this time of year where I have to buy them every single year and they just make me so happy and like get me in the mood for fall. They have a couple different scents that you can get and they are also on sale. And if you guys are like me, I've already started thinking about what I want my tree to look like this year. And there's a couple different styles that Macy's has on here with like every kind of ornament and decor item to go along with it from your like traditional classic vibes to a sparkly one. Or if you like something a little bit more natural and rustic for that farmhouse feel, or if you want something a little bit more elegant or edgy. So all these are available at Macy's.com. I just want to touch on the investment side again, because you're saying like Mm -hmm. percentages that we might get back from things. And if people are investing, like, let's say in like one of a stock app or something, like what are some Mm -hmm. realistic returns that we can think of? Like if we're setting aside some percentage of our money each month, like what's like a realistic amount that we think that we can actually make back from this? Mm -hmm. So that really depends on the stock. And I don't recommend if you're just starting out, I don't recommend single stocks because it's like putting all of your eggs in one basket. So if you are investing in an index fund, like the S&P 500, the return on that is on average around 10% a year. And so if you're reinvesting those dividends, then that continues to accumulate. And you can see, so you can look at, and, and I would just Google this, right? If you're looking at a specific mutual fund, look at what their average return rate is. And you can look at, if we look at Apple stock, for example, I think in the last five years, it's gone up close to 400%. So you can, you can actually Google that and you can, you can see how a company is performing. You can see how a certain fund is performing and, and look at it over time. 
That's good to know. If it was all up all the time, everyone would be investing in stocks. So it's definitely good to educate yourself on each of those. And I think it's really good advice to not just put all of your eggs in one basket because you never know with the stock market, especially how it is right now, how that might turn out. Right. And a lot of people think it's like a Wolf of Wall Street thing where you need to have like multiple computers and you're doing day trading. That actually tends to underperform compared to just buying and holding, which means you are just putting your investment in and you're letting it sit there and you're waiting it out. And you're not trying to time the sale or anything like that. You're just allowing it to grow. Because if you're looking at it every day, you're going to see it go up and down and it's going to look like a roller coaster. But when you zoom way out over time, it's actually a giant curve and it just has a lot of texture to that movement. Yeah. You definitely don't want to obsess over it every day. Definitely not. And definitely not right now. Like everyone's scared about what's happening in the market right now. But the other way you can look at that, if you're looking from this perspective of ownership, you, you realize that, oh, like everything's on sale right now. Right. So you're jumping in at a time when, when things are down, which means you're jumping in at a time when things are more affordable. It's like the sale rack for stocks. And then around finance, I know there's so many emotions that go into it, whether it's anxiety or stress and just like extreme feelings. So how do we change our mindset and our relationship with our finances to just feel overall better? And like, if there, if there is a way to feel less stressed about it. So first and foremost, cultivating a vision, right? This is how I want to you know, Mariana, if you and I were, we decided we're going to be friends and we're going to be like really close friends. We're building this relationship together, even with a a business partnership, right? This is our vision for that relationship. This is how I want to feel. This is how I want to show up for it. This is how I want you to show up for me. You can have that same exchange with money, right? This is how I want to feel about money. This is how I want to experience money. This is how I want to money to support me. So you cultivate that vision. And then from that, you can start to see, you'll start to have an awareness of where your experience is not reflective of that vision. And, and this can be really emotional, right? You can, and then from there, looking at the narratives that are at play, right? What are the stories that you're telling yourself or the experiences that you've had that are creating a lot of charge that make you maybe feel unsafe and just acknowledging what those are. And I am a huge advocate for actually taking space to feel those feelings before you reframe them. Because if you're just jumping into like thinking positive and you're trying to bypass your actual experience, then you're only compounding that on a subconscious level, right? Feelings are for feelings. So addressing them, looking at them, taking time to feel the feeling before you shift into how you want to reframe, right? Your perspective about money, how you want to move forward, having support, having a safe space to go. Community is also really helpful with this. Do you have any resources for people who are wanting to educate themselves more on the topic, any books or podcasts or people and accounts you like to follow? I love her first 100K, Tori Dunlap, the financial feminist. She puts out just all kinds of all kinds of great resources. She's got a podcast, Tiffany Aliche. Her book, Get Good with Money, is great. The Dow Janes have an incredible program. Ella Vest 
is also, it's just a great platform where there's community built around investing and connecting. So those are a few of my favorites. Amazing. And where can we connect with you if we wanted to book mentoring or VIP sessions with you? I'm on Instagram at I am Hannah Koenig. Um, you can also check out my website, Hannah Koenig. And you're welcome to just jump right into my DMs. I love new friends. I love connecting with people. Amazing. Thanks so much, Hannah. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to subscribe to my podcast and rate and review because it would mean so much to me and follow me on Instagram at Mariana underscore Hewitt to see what episodes are coming up next. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.